You know, I'm a cardiologist. I weighed, I was almost near 300 pounds, I think, at some point when I was at my lowest point. You know, food wasn't enough. I was going through a divorce, a very hard divorce. I wasn't sure if I was happy with my professional life, my personal life, my relationships. And, and, and this is the best example of what this looked like for me. This is the lowest point. This is the point I'm actually most grateful for because it showed me what life can become. But I would DoorDash twice a day, twice a day. DoorDash my lunch, I would DoorDash my dinner, and I would just watch Netflix. This is what I did on the weekends. I went to work, got through work. Weekends, I was DoorDashing. And I was sitting there by myself. Food wasn't enough. Netflix wasn't enough. I could not just take my finger off that controller. Mm -hmm. I didn't, didn't find I was so restless. I knew I wanted to watch something, but not that, but not that, but not that. So I had to find something else to do, and that's when booze came in, too. <laughs> Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast. Podcast? This conversation is all about money. Money, not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there. So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and, and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then? We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the story of themselves, the relationship with themselves. So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships? Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more. Ooh, let's go. Hey, what are you grateful for today? I am always grateful to be in studio. It is one of my favorite things to do. It's a creative aspect of what we do. I get out of the office, I come up, I hang out with you two clowns for the day, meaning you and A's. And we have awesome, awesome guests that come into the studio. So I am super grateful to be here, to be able to have these kind of ongoing conversations in a world that is ever changing. I'd love it to stop changing for a little while, but I am grateful to be here. There you go. Thank How you. How about brother. you? <laughs> well, I am also incredibly grateful for who we've got in studio today. This, uh, this man is such an incredible friend to me and soon to become an incredible friend to you. And I get a sense he might become an incredible friend to Ace as well. He's just, he's that kind of guy. So I'm, I'm super grateful for my friend Rishi. I'm super grateful for the people in our lives and the opportunity to come in in studio, like you said, and do this every other week. This is, this is a blast when we get to do this, man. Yeah, I this, just is love not, it. this is not the four-letter word, W-O-R-K. What we get to do here helps me be really grateful for the work that we do. I mean, this is the work that we do. How cool is that? I'm so grateful for that. I'm super excited. We have a friend with us here in studio again Me today. too. This is fantastic. And before we get into who he is or what the hell he's doing here, my friend, my really, really good friend Rishi is here. And Rishi, what are you grateful for before we go into introductions? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question. I'm, thank you for asking that. I'm grateful to be here, you know, number one, to be talking with you guys, just listening to this back and forth. It's wonderful to be a part of it. Definitely grateful for the blue skies. I took a nice run this morning, so I'm grateful for legs and being able to run outside. Nice. And always, every day, I'm grateful that my eyes opened. I learned that from you, Matt. That's the number one thing. Really can't get worse after that. My eyes opened up today. I'm grateful. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Did you ever see that SB speech that Jimmy Valvano, the old NC State coach, did? To I watch, watch it him. every year. Yeah, to I cry every year. To watch him get up and talk about 
what it means to live your life one day at a time, mm-hmm. given the diagnosis that he had and the suggestion that he made, that you don't wait for a diagnosis like this, to just truly be grateful for the fact that your eyes open up in the morning and you get to show up and have an impact on this world. It, it's something I'm always grateful for. So it's awesome to share that with you today. Oh, yeah. Beautiful speech. Very powerful. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get this show on the road. What we're actually here to talk about today, I'm thrilled to introduce my very, very dear friend, Rishi Menon. Rishi is a cardiologist here in town. He's got those two really cool letters after his last name, M and D, and they are capital letters, which is very <laughs> cool. And you're such an important person in my life. You, you and I have developed an incredible friendship. There's a lot of trust there. There were a lot of questions that I had over the last year and a half as it relates to this pandemic that I really didn't understand what was being told to me on TV because I'd turn one channel on and it would tell me one thing, then I'd turn another channel on and it would tell me something else. And all of these people profess to know the truth, know the facts, know that science equaled truth and facts. And I was very confused. And so part of my gratitude today is the fact that you have become a significant part of my life the fact that you and I were able to sit in my little sacred space on my back deck and and just talk like two people about what's going on in the world. And given your background and where you've been, you've helped me a lot with, with what's going on in the world today. So we're most certainly going to get into that. But your story as a human, I'm not going to speak for others. I'm just going to speak for me. Until you and I got to know each other, I always had a certain feeling and thought about doctors. Like they were superhuman to me. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, firefighters, police officers, doctors, nurses. I mean, these people that perform in crisis situations in ways that just seem superhuman to me. So I've always kind of held those people up on these pedestals. I would nominate that the doctor is probably even on a slightly higher pedestal. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But what what it did, I mean, there was always a, a lot of respect there for me. But what it also did was it it didn't allow me the the realization that those people are human beings too. They eat cheeseburgers too. They do. <laughs> they eat cheeseburgers. They might even smoke Marlboros. I mean, they they have the same kinds of imperfections that every other human being I've ever met. And just taking the time to get to know you as a human being, really being grateful for your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience, your strength, your hope, but your journey has also been incredibly revealing and something I've learned a great deal about in my own journey of financial sobriety. So I want to start a conversation having you here today. I mean, you could be out seeing patients today. You've taken time to be with us here in studio. I'm incredibly grateful. Let's start the conversation. I mean, tell us a little bit about you. Let's just tee it up and share a little bit about you and who you are and why you decided to come in and hang out with us today. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity. I don't know. I mean, doctors are all right. No, they're okay. <laughs> I don't really trust them. <laughs> but no, I was I was born and raised in St. Louis. My folks came over from India in the 70s. I went to medical school in the Midwest and then did some training in New Mexico, came back to St. Louis to do some training in cardiology. It, it's an interesting journey. And when you talk about how I think the way I think and and what I think about myself, the type of training I I went through in my 20s. I kind of like to take a break there and talk about that because I think it's it's a very different experience going through medical training in our 20s. So we're going through medical school, which is semester to semester. There's always some goal, you know, get these grades, 
I can do anything for six months and then I'll go to the next semester. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, finish. We finish school like everybody else who finishes school and we're supposed to go out into the real world, but it's not. It's almost like a little purgatory and it's month to month in training, right? So I had to do internal medicine for three years and then cardiology training for three years. And that was month to month for me. I had to spend, or I, I guess got to spend six years not really worrying about what was going on in my life. I just had to get through the month. I had mm-hmm. to learn what I needed to learn and get through that month. So the psychology of how I thought about the world was very much, how do I get through this month? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of strange. It's a little bit survival mode. You're trying to learn. You're trying to understand. But all my colleagues, you know, they're starting families. They're worrying about mortgages and investing. And I kind of did that. But I was just focused on the month to month. And then all of a sudden, I'm done with training. I'm about early 30s. And boom, I've got, you know, financial stability. I don't know really what to do with it. And now I've got this whole life. I'm in this, in this ocean now of life that everybody else has been in for almost a decade or five years at least. So it is a little weird coming into that. But I'm also the guy you trust. That guy's got it together, right? He, right. he knows what he's doing. He's sure. a doctor. Sure. i got no idea. Let, let me ask. I, I'm curious. Up to this point, and, and I want to hear more of where you're going with this, but why did you want to become a doctor? What was the motivation behind that? What led you into the field? It's interesting. So when I was young, I was kind of more interested in philosophy. And I got this opportunity to go to medical school at a younger age, a combined program. And I thought, well, this would be good. You know, I I debated it, but I had the opportunity and I took it. Obviously, coming from an Indian background, there was not a push, but an an encouragement to go into the medical field. And I went in there, thought I would check it out, and I ended up really liking it. Really, cardiology, once I got into the cardiology section and I, I saw the beauty of how the heart worked, how intricate it was, elegant is really the right word, I got interested in that. And then it moved on to the clinical aspect, like, wow, I know something and this can actually help people. It's kind of cool. The whole time I'm nervous because I don't trust myself, right? Uh-huh. Imposter syndrome, like, I don't really know. Thank God there's somebody watching me. That's a common theme for me throughout my life. We're going to talk about that. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spilled the beans on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little teaser for you guys. There, I love it. <laughs> but, but all of it, too. I mean, even specifically with cardiology, right? It's, I heard somebody describe it as the organ of poets, and I thought that was cool. Every culture wow. in the world, right, has known about the value of the heart or the heart space without really knowing what it is. And so I, at some point, you know, I'll, now I'll say I feel blessed. At some point, I was just taken in by that, like, wow, we human beings have known about the heart for a long time, and now I get to know about it. As I grew and matured, I really liked cardiology because it's very evidence-based. I'm using air quotes now, evidence-based, right? Right. The most data-driven or, you know, has the largest data source of any clinical field in medicine. So I thought I knew. Uh, we were going to know, right, what we were doing was right for people. Another teaser, that's not always the case, but that's what really got me interested. And then, of course, once I started to do it, I enjoyed the actual work. So that's kind of my journey with medicine and cardiology specifically. So early 30s, here you are, and the way I heard it was you're kind of thrown in the deep end of the pool. You are all of a sudden now anointed as a cardiologist, and you're expected to have your shit together, may I say it. Sure. Right? Not just as a doctor, but in life. With your finances and your, you know, everything's in order. You just automatically assume that, I, I automatically assume that my doctor's got his shit together. Well, if you have the intellect and the discipline to go through the years of schooling and training that you've done and 
what's required of you to become a practitioner in the heart space world, we'll call it. Yeah, you've got to not only be a pretty bright guy, but someone who's pretty responsible and got his shit together. And yet a minute ago, you shared this word with me that I've heard before, but I don't think we've ever talked about on this show in in terms of how Rishi said this. No, we don't use those words, but it is very <laughs> emblematic. It sounds sounds That's similar. That's a big to, word for you today. Emblematic. Uh huh. Uh huh. Emblematic of uh, what we talk about with the mask. Yeah, absolutely. So imposter syndrome. Tell me more about that. Oh yeah, imposter syndrome. So the way that works is, so I know something, right? I know that I know it, and I go and maybe I take care of a patient, and that patient does well. But, oh, that patient did well because despite me. It wasn't what I knew or what I did or the fact that the patient was going to get better on their own. Any other person could have been in that situation. Not a big deal. But something goes wrong, and that's my fault, right? I missed that. I'm the one that if only somebody else had been there, that, that outcome would have been different. And that's how I constantly live my life, right? Every good thing that happened, and, I, and not just in cardiology, but in the world, right? When good things were happening to me, it was for some other reason, despite me. Hmm. Almost like you were dismissing it? In a way, I, I, you know, I knew it happened, but I couldn't, I couldn't take credit for anything. Not that I wanted to, but I couldn't attribute it, the outcome directly to what I did. So it was, it was almost luck. Gotcha. So you, could, you couldn't see how you were having impact and successful outcomes in your professional life or personal life, but you directly tied any kind of failure or any kind of misstep directly to your participation. Correct. Huh. And it led to this story I made about myself. That's the downside of imposter syndrome. Who am I, right? Yes, I do the work and I see the evidence that what I'm doing makes a difference or or may help, but I'm the guy that's going to screw up. I'm the guy that, you know, when that occasional thing goes wrong, because it's out of my control, I did everything I could, but the outcome was the outcome. That's what I thought about for days and days. That's on my drive home. What could I have done differently? What could I, you know, it's on my mind at night. may wake me up. It may affect how I, you know, interact with the next person. But the really amazing thing that happened where somebody gets to go home and be with their family and they're going to have a normal life, I don't remember that one. You never celebrated that? Never, never. I mean, I don't know that that's unique to medicine. I think that's potentially just something all of us have. Are you a perfectionist? I am a perfectionist. Ah, ha, oh, yeah. There we go. I was a perfectionist. Gotcha. Reformed. Working on that. Reformed. Reformed. There we go. <laughs> was being That's the right. operative word. That's very interesting. We have a theme that, or a slogan that we like to say around the office quite a bit. Not as much on, on the show, but progress, not perfection. Comes from a dear friend, Dan Sullivan, and we seem to surround ourselves with perfectionists. So that tendency, if you will, to beat yourself up for what didn't go the way you wanted, and to speed bump over what went very well and the patient had a, a good outcome, I mean, that's a very perfectionistic tendency to just dwell on that and you know rewind the tape on what could have gone differently, what could I have done better. How did that leave you feeling? How did that affect, because in the, in the vein of what we do here, right, financial sobriety is about being intentional with these three very complicated relationships we all have. It's about being intentional in that relationship we have with money, in that relationship we have with the people in our lives, and then the relationship with the person looking back at us in the mirror every morning, right? That, that self-relationship. 
how did this imposter syndrome show up and affect the way you looked at yourself in the mirror? What, what was the inner dialogue like as you were reviewing the coulda, woulda, shouldas on the ride home and then ultimately had to make eye contact with the dude who seemed to be brushing his teeth at night before he went to bed? What was that like? It was difficult, and for years I didn't even appreciate that. You know, one of the things you and I have talked about in our friendship is I didn't know what to do with feelings. I had them. I was kind of aware of them, but I immediately had to do something else with them. So I didn't take that much time to process or sit with my feelings. I kind of had this vague idea that I wasn't really a good person, that there was something wrong with me. I always had this idea that there's something everybody else knew, but I didn't, right? Mm. Oh, interesting. At, the, at this one moment, that knowledge was going to be very helpful, and I'd be the one guy sitting in his chair eating the donut, like, oh, we're supposed to do what right now? You know? That was this vague fear I had. Not manifestly, but if I would talk about one of those irrational fears, it was that. There's probably some German word for that. I don't know. but So you were, you were afraid of the world finding out who you really were. Correct. If you H- only hence, knew me. Hence the imposter. You showed up on the outside as something, but on the inside, you knew it as being something different. Is That's that accurate? Exactly, 100% right. So what did that look like? Well, there's a lot of inner dialogue going on. There, by My mind wouldn't stop. I had to continuously process what was going on, but never directly, never what my feelings were. So there was a lot of irritation. I could turn it on. I could you know, put the mask on. I heard you guys talking about the mask. I could do that. That's a skill I had acquired. So I, going on about what may be happening in my day, what, what maybe I'm feeling, didn't think about what my feelings meant, but I got to go in, open that clinic door, got the mask on. I know how to do that, mm. right? And after, so that was, that was a bit of a shield, right? A shield. I mean, that's, a, that's the beauty of the mask. It's body it's armor. It, it's body armor. It gives you the, the false sense of confidence because it's not really you because you got a mask on. It's you. I, I get that, but... You feel like, well, I can do this. I'm, I got my super, superhuman cape on. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Wow. You, you mentioned it created some feelings. You didn't like feelings. I can very much relate to that. We've, we've talked about it here a lot, about how I used to deal with the feelings that I had and how I used to judge the feelings that I had as good or bad. And especially those bad feelings, I would need to fill them up with something. For many, many years, it was buying stuff, right? Spending money, going out and getting a new Gizmoch because that would make me temporarily feel good for a little bit. Sure, A Big Mac. Oh, God, I love doing the McDonald's drive-thru and shoveling a Big Mac down my throat. And, oh, the the dopamine release that I would get from that and how good I would feel. Yet I'd be starving like an hour later, as you like to say. Amen. Right? It just it never filled my appetite. But it it definitely put a Band-Aid on these bad emotions. And then, of course, when the money ran out and there wasn't even money to go get the Big Mac, I started finding things like booze and other substances to fill that hole. And, boy, did that make the feelings go away pretty quick. But afterward, it seemed to be worse. What was that like for you? How did, how did you deal with those feelings? Oh, it's such a similar journey, Matt. That's what I did. Any instant thing I could do to take myself away from that. The Big Mac's a great example. Me, it's donuts. I don't know why. Love donuts, right? Mm. Oh, so yeah. No, I, I knew I liked you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this is a man you can trust Absolutely. Right yes. Oh, well, and, thank and you. Somebody, and somebody that appreciates a good donut, there's just some honesty to that that right. I really like. I had one this morning. 
I had a kale donut. Have you ever tried Whoa. those? Oh, God. Whoa. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, was, I just threw up a little bit yeah. back yeah. in my throat. No, that, they don't exist. Okay, thanks. It's God. not in the elemental chart. <laughs> thank God. Just a total fugazi doesn't yes, even exist. Exactly. Thank God. So donuts were your were a vice. Yeah, I mean they still kind of are, but I eat them intentionally because I want them, not because I need to escape the situation that I'm in. And then, you know, food wasn't enough. I'll share with you when when COVID happened, when it started, and this is a blessing for me. This is part of that silver lining that we were talking about yesterday. I went into it. I was going through a divorce, a very hard divorce. I wasn't sure if I was happy with my professional life, my personal life, my relationships, and and then this is the best example of what this looked like for me. This is the lowest point. This is the point I'm actually most grateful for because it showed me what life can become. But I would DoorDash twice a day, twice a day, DoorDash my lunch. I would DoorDash my dinner, and I would just watch Netflix. This is what I did on the weekends. I went to work, got through work. Weekends, I was DoorDashing, and I was sitting there by myself. And the same thing, food wasn't enough. Netflix wasn't enough. I cannot just take my finger off that controller. I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't find it. I was so restless. I knew I wanted to watch something, but not that, but not that, but not that. But I had to find something else to do, and that's when booze came in, too. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. But wait a minute. You're a superhero. You're a medical doctor. You've got the world by the you-know-whats. You've got everything in the world that you— that By the most, donuts. Yeah, you got the world by the donuts. By the, don- by the, don- uh, by the munchkins. Shirt. <laughs> you, you got the world. Maybe for you. Thank you. Well, you gotta you gotta know Dunkin' Donuts to know Munchkins, right? <laughs> I mean, from the outside, so I you know I love comparison. It's the thief of all joy, and yet mm-hmm. I still seem to find myself comparing what you look like on the outside to how much of a mess up I feel on the inside. So on the outside, you know, here here's this doctor who's got great parents in his life and sisters and nieces and nephews and the education and and now you're a doctor and you got a cape and a big S on your shirt and yet somehow on the inside they didn't match what was on the outside. They didn't feel right and you did something about it. That's right. Yeah, I had to. I mean, the interesting thing about exactly what you're describing is that label, that idea I had about myself, uh, I'm a doctor, I'm a professional, I'm a successful individual, that let these things go under the radar. You know, I'm a cardiologist. I weighed, I was almost near 300 pounds, I think, at some point when I was at my lowest point. What do you weigh now? 138 soaking wet? (laughs) Holy cow, Uh, Respectable 160-something, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You were near three bills? That's incredible. Yeah. I'll show you guys. I'll show you a picture. I know you've seen it. I'm glad we're uh, we got this on video over here. We are video recording this today, so there's proof that. I mean, it's half of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. And I mean, it just goes to show you. Uh, you know, one of the, the themes of my life is this is all mental. This is a bad mental experience, and the, my body was just a manifestation of that. I mean, I exercised. I went to the gym. I lifted. I tried to be. I tried diets, which you know. That's a whole other thing. I don't, I don't use that word. That's a that's a bad word because diets are meant to it's end. It's a four letter word. The yeah. D word. Yeah. The four letter D word. It's the word. four letter D word. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's nutrition. That's what that's what health is. Health is nutrition. But yeah, I was in that space, and because I was I had this labelless idea about myself. No, I can't really have a problem with eating. No, I can't really have a problem with drinking. Right? I no, we don't have that. I work hard. It's okay. I can. I, can, I deserve it. I deserve it. If you were uh, as I did, you would. That was always one of the tapes that would run in my head was, you know, look how hard I'm working. I deserve the bowl of ice cream. I deserve the fifth pizza pizza. Sure. It's ridiculous. 
It's a total mindset thing. I, yeah. I, I'm 100 percent with you, Rishi, on that. I'm out helping patients. <clears throat> I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, it's stressful. And then, right, the danger with that narrative of it's stressful. Well, okay, if it's stressful, and I can do the thing that I my mind now wants to do, which is eat like crazy, drink more than I should, try to have relationships that aren't meaningful. Well, anything can stress me out. Ah, I got this bill. Oh, man, my, I haven't registered my car. Mm. Instead of doing that, I should just probably go eat something or drink something, right? Um, this is numb too it stressful. Out. Yeah, yeah, numb it out. Numb it out. Yeah. Well, and, and this, is, this is what's fascinating to me is because we, we, we've had a number of guests in studio. We have the privilege with what we do for a living to meet a lot of really successful people on the outside, right? They, they have it all. But there's this underlying common theme amongst human beings that we're starting to become very, very well aware of. And it's so many human beings don't know how to deal with these feelings that they get. They're uncomfortable. I'm, I'm speaking for me and for the people that I've met. They're uncomfortable, and I need to numb them somehow. I need to get rid of them. First, I'm judging them, right? I'm judging <coughs> feelings as good or bad. There are good feelings and bad feelings not just feelings, objectively. And as a result of labeling feelings as good or bad, I've noticed, especially in the last 18 months with COVID and the amount of isolation that we've had, where we've been forced to be alone with ourselves, dealing with the feelings of what's coming based on how much input we're allowing into our eyeballs called cable TV. It's amazing to see that there's this common thread amongst human beings. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're a Christian, a Buddhist, a Jew. I, all of these outside labels that call us different, there's something that I'm noticing over the, what, almost 50 episodes, more than 50 episodes that we've been sitting in studio doing this, that there's something that we all have in common. And it's this challenge we have with the feelings that we get and especially how we feel about ourselves as a result of them. What changed for you? What, what was the worst point, and, and why did you decide it was time to make a change? That's a great question, and I wish I could really focus on what that one moment was, but I just realized something wasn't right. You know, part of my story, too, is I did get this return to happiness. I kind of got stability with my professional life, stability mm. with personal life, some relationships, and things were kind of getting better. Then all of a sudden I realized, like, I'm still not happy. My patterns are still there. I'm still miserable on the weekends. I, I still am I going into work and I'm doing it and I'm being present. I mean, I always can do that. I was That I could do. But I was burning myself out because I was giving everything to that and I didn't have a meaningful way to, you know, what we talk about is filling our cup now. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't have a way to reconstitute myself. Self-care. Self. Oh, yeah, self-care. You weren't doing that. No. no and that was Stop, a stop. He clearly was doing self-care. It was donuts and DoorDash and Netflix and the couch. I mean, what are we, what are we missing? Ah, confusing self-care for self-numbing. I love it. Okay. <laughs> love it. But it's self-care. I mean, he was taking care of himself. Guy wanted a donut, he'd have a donut. You know what? You've convinced me. I'm going back. <laughs> I think I had it right before. I mean, because I want my cardiologist to be 300 pounds because then I feel better about myself. Exactly. Exactly. But now he's 165 and in the no, best I'm, shape of his life. i got to find on. a new cardiologist. you got to find a new cardiologist. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that, I've heard that too. I mean, that's, that's a fairly common theme that I'm, I'm not sure that there was like one instance that I just, you know, kind of flipped the switch, but more of a series 
of of behaviors that led to this real deep knowing that just something was wrong and I needed to change this. I needed to do something about it. I'm curious as as you were going through that and beating yourself up and and really not loving the guy that you saw in the mirror, how did that affect your relationship with the people that meant most to you in life? What did that look like? That's a really interesting. So I've examined a lot of these things since I've changed my outlook or, or daily I'm working on changing my outlook. And one thing I realized is that mask concept came back, right? I was so... I had no self-worth inside my... I just could not think I was a good guy. But I had to convince you that I was. And I'd known how to wear this mask or a mask for so long that I think I could do it. I could read you a little bit, figure out what you wanted me to be, and I was going to put that mask on, and I was going to get you to like me. Because if you liked me, if that other guy liked me, if this other person is, you know, who I'm dating, whoever, liked me, all right, I'm good. I'm a, I'm a good boy, you know? Like, I feel good about that. So you got all your self-esteem based on external recognition and approval. Oh, yeah. The desire to be liked. It's one of the strongest human desires ever. Yeah, I can't relate to that. No, not at all. <laughs> That should be your next book. (laughs) That's one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is when you're trying to have your external relationships fix your internal problems, it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like, okay, if those people like me, I'm going to feel better about myself. It's just it's a flawed model. Yeah. It's a flawed model, and it's certainly not sustainable. So, I mean, did did you get to a point, or was there like a a breaking point for you where you said you just, you have to write the ship on all this and and work on you. Yeah. It was a series of things where I just said, this isn't working. You know, like that, that burnout that I started to feel the, the shipwreck of my divorce, which I didn't process and think, you know, I analyzed it the way I did. She was wrong. I was fine. You know, I had a very weird way of looking at that. That's how I thought about that that separation. And it had nothing to do with her. It was really, well, it was mostly about me. It was about how I looked at the world. And so all these little things just kind of slowly came to light. And I said, there is a problem here. Something's going on. Good for you. Yeah. And, and it, when I share that with people, you know, they talk about it like it's such a difficult thing. But it really came down to looking at the evidence. At some point, I actually just looked at the facts of my life and said, something's not right. Can I do something about it? I'm a grandiose thinker. I want a big solution. If I see something wrong, we got to fix it right away right? There's got to be some great gesture I can do, set the ship, and then I don't have to do any more work. That's what I wanted, you know, get the ship, set the ship right. Um, but that's not how it works for me. It's, okay, there's a, there's a problem. Can I chip away at it a little? Can I maybe ask some questions, be curious about this? Sure. And the biggest thing I've got to share with you guys, and, and I've learned this so much from talking with Matt, talking with other people, it's sharing. It's sharing and honesty. The worst lie I told myself was that it didn't matter that how I was feeling didn't matter, and I shouldn't tell anybody about it. I'll share with you the story. Um, after my separation, I was, I was emotionally just destroyed inside almost all the time, and I kept reaching out to people, but I was irritated. I, I was almost like a child crying. I didn't know what I wanted from people. I was just like, I'm sad, and I didn't have— Well, and men aren't supposed to have those feelings no, when they no. separate and get divorced. You're supposed to be strong like bull, Yeah. right? Big, tough exterior who moves on and— dates and now you got all the opportunity in the world to go, you know, hunting again. Oh right? yeah. Good for you, bro. You kind of got rid of her. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Right on. High yeah, five. Good right. way, way to go. But that's not how you felt on the inside. No, not at all. You know, I was so broken and 
I wanted to talk to people about it. I wanted to say, hey, I feel this way. But I'm, I'm also, yeah, I'm a man. I'm not supposed to have feelings. I'm John Wayne. I'm supposed to, like, hold that in. I can drink about it. That's for sure. That's sure, what men do. Sure, You know, they have a feeling they drink about it. Yeah. So I, I would pick up my phone, and I would want to call or text somebody. But then I thought, I'm going to bother them like this, or, or I'm just going to be whining, and I don't want to ruin their day. So I literally walked around with a picture on my phone that said, shut up, nobody cares. Because when I picked up my phone to reach out to somebody, I would see that message and say, oh, that's right. No one cares. That's the story I told myself. Yeah. In reality, it's the exact opposite. It's not that the people I talk with now care because they want to help me or they're going to. I never get advice anymore. I share all the time. And it's just a human thing to share. And there's something transformative about that. And the more I started sharing and being very honest with people, the more my own life changed. And in, in a lot of ways, you know, other people felt comfortable sharing. I'm very open with this, and, and I get calls from people all the time, like, hey, I, I was thinking about this. The, along the line of the man thing, I posted something about that uh, on social media, and I got a call from somebody I'd known 10 years ago, and he said, that's exactly what I thought. I'm going through this. I'm trying to be strong for my family, but this is how I feel. I can't talk to my wife about it. I'm supposed to be the man. So we had a long conversation about that, and we kind of touched base about it. I'm not his counselor. He doesn't necessarily no, no, need one. No, yeah. But there's something beautiful about the concept that we've also talked a lot about, which is we think one of the great new strengths in this world in terms of that very John Wayne energy that you talked about. But in the 21st century, it's vulnerability. It's a paradox. It is a beautiful paradox. It's become paradox. a beautiful paradox. And that your vulnerability and your willingness – to be open with those people in your life, and now here you are on a you know on a public forum that can be listened to anywhere in the world, sharing your story on how you felt internally. I mean, and then you you got the immediate benefit of somebody reaching out to you and saying, "I feel that way too." Yeah, and you were there for them because one of our other favorite words is being empathetic to their situation. Not necessarily trying to fix them or fix the situation, but just holding the space and holding the energy around listening and being present. And when we've been as isolated as we as we have been for the last nearly 18 months, we're seeing it with our individual clients that there's a level of a huge level of neediness. And it's a neediness not in terms of, you know, my money needs to do this or that, but just the human connection aspect and and they come in bearing their soul so much more than they ever have. And we just try to hold the space for it. So good for you to be able to recognize things were not making sense. Things weren't lining up right. You recognize that internally that's what needed to be fixed. It wasn't these people like me, as you would say, partner. You had to look in the mirror and go, I like this guy. I love this guy. I, even better, I love this guy. I'm proud of this I'm guy. I'm proud of this guy. And I believe in this guy. Amen. And eventually getting to the point of saying, I forgive this guy. So I'm curious. You had those things written on your phone. Shut up, no one cares, which is a huge reflection to me of how you thought about yourself. I'm a piece of shit. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. How did that affect your relationship with people? What happened with you, with your family, with your friends? How did that manifestation of how you felt about yourself have an impact on the relationship you had with people? we're going to press the pause button because we've got so much more conversation to have with Dr. Rishi Menon, who's been so kind to come into studio. In fact, we're going to do something we've never done before. 
we're going to release the second part of this conversation with Dr. Rishi tomorrow, one day after this episode, we're going to have the second part of our conversation with Dr. Rishi Menon, where we're going to hear lots more about his journey of financial sobriety and how that journey impacted the relationships in his life that meant the most to him. So with that partner, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.